0: Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner. From Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, three D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Andris Nikonov. He's the CEO of Cognostics.de. It's spelled C-O-G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S dot D-E. So, Andris, how are you doing?
1: Great. Nice to meet you, and thank you very much for having me participate in this podcast. Yeah. I'm happy to tell you some
0: bit. this. Exactly. All right, great. So tell me uh, what's the premise of Cognostics, what's the point of the company?
1: Mm-hmm. So our mission is basically supporting human cognition and dealing with uh, complexity. So, for this we have a large methodological toolbox of uh, quite many interdependent technologies which were developed in conjunction with cognitive scientists and also supported heavily by artificial intelligence. So, on okay. a bit aspect that then, also besides us being a company, it's also a research field Research on Thinking and Cognitive Science. That mm-hmm. was the focus of the Pamanides Foundation for 10 years. And Cognostics Society is actually a spin-off of this research foundation.
0: So Cognostics is the science of thinking,
1: essentially? Exactly, of, of thinking and supporting thinking, that's right. Is the,
0: uh, is the uh, let's see, what would you call it? I guess the mascot of the uh, industry, Rodan the thinker? You know that statue?
1: Yeah, yeah. You could say so. I mean, as I mentioned before, like Parmenides, he's also a famous um, philosopher, and he's also the mascot of the Parmenides Foundation Research Institute, which uh, shaped the field, the research mm-hmm. field. But uh, I guess uh, multiple philosophers who deserve to be mentioned in this context.
0: Okay. It's like an interesting field. So where, uh, you know, now that you work in the field, you see it very differently, I'm sure, than when you first started. What got you interested in it and what, what do you know about the field that a normal person wouldn't know? Like what are some interesting insights you have?
1: Yeah, so uh, basically the, the motivation is just the observation that we live in an age of really exploding complexity and the change happening at the increasing pace. So as a result, our thinking skills and our institutions often overwhelmed uh, with all this information that has been gathered and it's you not know, really available through the internet and so on. So, I mean, this is one of the problems of our era. And now the mission of um, the research area of and the company is to better understand how complexity is addressed in human thinking and to develop new methods that then help to support it. And um, therefore, we use also artificial intelligence systematically, um, but um, the goal is really not to replace human thinking with a machine, but to evolve it further by uh, just supporting it with the machine. So, many other AI companies are motivated to make AI as much human-like as possible and as independent as possible, with a motivation to um, replace the human brain as much as possible. But that's really not what we try. We really just want to support the human and basically to let, him, let, let human being in the driver's seat because um, might be more responsible in many domains, and also more powerful if we have a human-machine collaboration instead of just um, machines acting independently.
0: So, what are examples of uh, people collaborating with machines to have a you know a, a beneficial symbiotic effect that's more powerful than either alone?
1: Yeah, so in many domains, for example, the legal domain. In Huff, for example, would never be allowed to just um, transfer uh, his responsibility to a machine. And also in the domain of healthcare, in the end, the doctor has to make a decision. And um, we can only support um, the doctor to get an idea what the situation of the patient is and what the best um, diagnostic or therapeutic options are. So these are really fields where... Um, substituting the human completely is a no-go, and we just need to support humans in gathering data and getting an overview of the situation and making better choices.
0: So what have you observed, you know, in machine-human collaborations? What kind of uh, case studies or examples have you seen?
1: Mm-hmm. So I've mean, in quite many different fields. Um, the biggest ones are healthcare and education. And then the other two fields, we also are doing projects in our strategies, finance and governance, democracy. In, in healthcare, we're really working on the whole chain, starting from prevention over diagnosis and treatment. And education, we have our own e-learning environment, which I can both be deployed at schools, and universities, but also at companies. And in um, all these, domains, we really have setups where humans and machines collaborate, for example, as I mentioned already, healthcare, um, we provide an overview of a, of a patient and then support a doctor making better choices, and in e-learning, we help uh, lecturers or um, users at the company who want to teach fellow employees, we support them to create uh, knowledge spaces and lectures, with some um, AI support and then also the user, so the learner is also supported in um, basically individualized um, learning and personalized learning. So um, you have a, you can think about it as a recommender system that knows your skill profile and generates suggestions what you could learn next. So sometimes you don't even know that. I mean, sometimes you have this huge knowledge. I mean, me for example, I've been programming for 20 years and I don't even know what I know and what I don't know and Mm -hmm. what to learn next. And um, then it's good to have a machine that kind of observes you a little bit and gets an idea where you can also which of these gaps actually relevant to be filled for your projects and so on. And then it comes up with suggestions what to learn next. And it's also based on if this uh, next thing is realistic for you. Or is it too complicated, because if you don't know the basics, then you cannot learn something really complicated. You really need to learn step by step. And so also the sequence of steps in which it's um, reasonable to learn is also optimized by, by our system.
0: Yeah, so in, uh, in healthcare, what would be an example? You know, how would the, the system work with a doctor? Do you, know, you have any specific examples of it actually in use? Or do you have just, uh, this is how we'd like, like it to work?
1: Yeah, in healthcare, so what I'm allowed to say about the actual tool is not released yet. it's is unfortunately a bit limited because in healthcare, we are small companies, so we have collaborations with um, larger companies in that domain, um, because it's very hard to produce medical products and, um it's not our own product. So we really like that field. Um, partially acting as a service provider for so these AI tools, and um, but basically it's a tool that gets an overview about the patient situation, and on the other hand an overview about what's possible, so what are the ne- next possible diagnostic or therapeutic options, and then there has to be a matching of the patient profile with um, one or multiple of these next options, and then also the system is supposed to learn on um, the treatment process of, of a patient if the options that were recommended were actually um, useful and successful, or maybe next time there should be other options considered. And the, the core idea of our system and maybe in comparison to other systems is that every recommendation is also you know, made transparent. So. We do not just want to have a black box or a neural network or so that magically produces some idea what to do, but in these domains like healthcare and so on, we really need to let the system also explain why it came up with a specific idea, with a specific recommendation, because otherwise you cannot um, validate it as a doctor, you cannot really verify that it's a reasonable thing to do and... Um, that would be the only way to take the responsibility of actually doing it. So hmm. the systems we work on are usually quite transparent, much more transparent than standard approaches to machine learning and AI.
0: How do you have to uh, do things a little bit differently, or do you, you know, versus standard machine learning systems and AI systems? What do you have to keep in mind, and how do you have to create them versus how everyone else is doing it?
1: Mm-hmm. So basically, methodologically, in all use cases, we try to provide an environment in which man and machine can collaborate, and for that we define domain-specific languages or, like, ontologies, you can call it, that both man and machine speak. So that allows, really, for interaction. We can call it, like, the model that uh, both uh, human can interpret and also machine can interpret. And, and then every decision or every reasoning process that the machine does can also be understood by by human. So we sometimes use standard process as well, like neural networks and um, support like the machines and so on, but um, only for specific tasks and for the critical tasks. We also have, um, we might call it more hard-coded models, there's a mess. Parameters that can still be interpreted by a human. So if you have, if you have a if you know the meaning of a parameter, then even if it's trained and learned and optimized um, via feedback, it's um, less critical than like a neural network with 100,000 parameters that you cannot interpret. So basically, you limit the set of parameters that are magically modified, and um, then each parameter that is trained or learned um can be interpreted in critical case. Of course there are also other use cases where you use standard um, approaches only like being fortunate learning neural networks and so on. Um, if it's powerful if it's not critical like for simple things like like image recognition or pattern recognition, there's absolutely no problem with doing so. But in other cases we need to be careful with having such intransparent approaches.
0: Okay, so uh, what fields do you think that's going to be, you know, the machine-human collaboration is going to be, like, the most important, and, you know, maybe one that we haven't discussed yet, So what do you want to work on in addition to what you're doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean our focus is not, not only the, the human-machine collaboration, I mean, the, the main focus of the mission is um, more, like, really supporting the human in dealing with complexity, and, like, Machine learning is really just one of the tools that we use in most cases, but really that's the tool that we use to, to do this. And um, one of the new projects uh, we started with very recently is um, one, for example, platform. That we collaborate on collaboration with uh, German newspaper and other partners, platform for political dialogue that um, is uh, supposed to support um, political which are quite complex, but so we observed that platforms like Facebook are really not not made for the for complex discussions. And actually, they even sometimes are used for political purposes, like for example Cambridge Analytica to the user profiles for targeted marketing and so on. So we want to really actually build a platform, not as a really as a social network, but as a platform for providing structures that allow for complex discussions and. For that you need, for example, the linkedness between arguments and counter-arguments so that users are empowered to always see the bigger picture of a whole debate and not just um, one opinion bubble, but really uh, the big picture. And um, that we believe will really lead to a more constructive discussion. And um, that's also again a uh, problem complexity usually um, prevent having such a discussions and we want to tackle this. Another problem, another project is um, project funded by the German government um, where we develop a tool for companies that helps with more sustainable and social and innovative planning for the future. Mm-hmm. And um, for that, we generate for each company a very unique profile that um, basically is used to um, that the system recommends future-oriented strategies, and then again the system learns based on the success rate of uh, companies doing specific things. Um, learns how to improve itself and make even better better suggestions. And again, this is a complex situation because every company has so many um, observable parameters and needs and goals, and they are all intertwined and um, It's quite hard to say, like, where you should invest at a specific moment. And we are really working on building a system that at least helps to allocate resources to some extent and then lets companies um, do better planning for, like, long-term future fitness, basically. Hmm. So these are other other fields.
0: So what's, uh, I mean, what's interesting to you about cognostics in the field? And what, you know, what have you learned that surprised you? you didn't know before, what do you think is like super interesting?
1: Mm, Yeah, I mean, we are more on the practical side, to be honest, in Prognostics you. So, I mean, I learned more about, in the last years, um, so three years I've been working there, mostly about um, software development, efficient software development, also with um, larger science, so um, Mostly I learned about all this like years ago, I, I, I worked almost 100% as a software developer because the company was still very small and now I'm doing um, mostly management. So this was my personal development and in this direction I also learned quite a lot how to manage um, projects and how to translate requirements to actually things that are doable for our team and um, how to do planning, and I call it basically architecture that is robust so for science purpose and so on, but so it was actually quite practical things that I learned, um, but on the sideline, of course, I also followed the research that is still done in our company and also in the community <coughs> foundation. Personally, I'm very interested in um, specific problems with machine learning, for example, but I... Cause a lack of imagination, but machines, usually when they hear a sentence, they just represent words, basically by vectors in a very abstract vector space. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. if a uh, human being hears the sentence, like let's say a soccer player uh, kicks a ball or so, then that actually provokes a little movie in your head. So you really see like a soccer player moving and hitting the ball with his leg, and then the ball is flying. So and from this movie, you can actually draw consequences and imagine the ball flying somewhere, hitting a window, and so on. So that's how humans um, think. And hmm. AI is um, by far not um, capable of doing that. There are some and um, going slowly in that direction, but um, most of time we discussed this a lot, and I'm personally very interested in um, bringing AI to the next level with um, basically more imagination, and so that you need also to understand physics and provide AI with understanding our physical reality, because for us, everything happens in 3D and for the space-time, and um, AI, for now, doesn't really have this concept of space and time in which everything happens, and without that, you can also not really understand language, and without language, you can't really support um, human beings and so on. So, this is um, some more abstract um, research-related problem I'm personally very interested in. It.
0: Okay. So, with knowing what you know, what do you project is uh, possible in the next five or ten years, and what do you think is still fantasy for AI and machine-human collaboration?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think in the next um, years, uh, what's realistically possible is, like, getting a better grip of all the data because um, in the last decades we have gathered more and more data which is freely available or to a large extent freely available but um, there was not so much emphasis on structuring all this data and um, I think this will happen in this approach we're working on in um, getting a little bit more structure into this mass of data because only then it becomes more Usable, and um, then also human can interpret it better and learn more from it once we say um, that becomes structured. So almost all companies now have gathered so much data, but the very small percentage has managed to to make this data usable. I think there will be a lot of um, money invested into into this next year, and uh, as I mentioned, I believe focus should not be to produce machines that are like independent as possible although this might be more fascinating also um, but i think it's more productive if we build machines that support humans and um might be more responsible and also more powerful approach
0: okay well very good so what's the uh, the best way for interested parties to get in touch and to find out more about what you do and maybe uh have you create, you know, such a, a machine-human collaboration for their industry or for their application?
1: Mm-hmm. I think um, easiest way is just to visit to visit our website. There's also some contact information, so it's www.cognostics.de or write me an email. I don't know if you can provide it later on the podcast, so it's www.cognostics.de. Okay. Um, that's the easiest way.
0: Very good. Well, thank you for coming. I really appreciate your time on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. You have been listening to
0: Almost Here, around the corner future technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.